So we're going to be reading from uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 today. And um, Pastor announced um, that uh, he was uh, leaving on vacation. He's going to go visit his uh, brother and his father. He says, down, down, down. Don't speak so loud. Oh, please, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd love to stand during this, I will be. Go right ahead. But no, please sit down. Yeah. I'm being motioned from the back, sit down, sit down, sit down, and there's going like, I'm talking as quiet as I can, come on. So anyway, Pastor announced that he's leaving on vacation, and uh, his father's bought a new house, and wants to see mom and dad in the house, and he wants to spend some time with his brother. So they're in Phoenix, or yeah, they're in Phoenix right now, and um, he asked me to um, cover for him, and uh, pretty honored to be able to do that, but... Uh, uh, please forgive me, this is not my profession. I'm the guy that uh, lives in the woods, or used to live in the woods, and uh, so here I am. Um, the, the verse then that we're working with today, or the scripture, is in the book of Hebrews, and we're going to be spending some time going through the book of Hebrews. And today, um, I'm going to bring this message to you from Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. And let me read it now. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The word of God. Um, so we're going to be starting this um, nine-week series in uh, the book of Hebrews. And essentially, I'm, I'm doing an introduction for you. I'm just going to get it prepared. John's going to preach next week, and then pastor's going to come in and correct us, like John said, um, for the next seven weeks. Um, but, and I started working in this and, and looking at it, and I went, you know what I really want to do is a Bible study, and I really had to fight that urge to do a Bible study out of it. But just look, in the first four verses, we have, um, Jesus has spoken, Jesus is the word. Um, he is heir. Jesus has created the world. Jesus is the radiance of God. Think of the sun. What do you see? You see the radiance. You see nothing but the radiance of the sun. Jesus is the sun. Jesus is the radiance. Um, the exact imprint of God's nature. Exactly the same. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Can you imagine what that means? I mean, it's not just Jesus going, got his hands up like this. He's holding the very elements of the atoms together. You know, the neat thing about when I studied uh, science, because I've got a uh, degree in science, I'm preaching to Orlando right now. Anyway, when I, uh, I went to college and, and studied science, there was a lot of times as we'd be going through stuff, chemistry, physics, that kind of stuff, we'd be going through, and the pastor, or the, the professor, if he was a good professor would always say, well, we know this part, we just don't quite understand this. And we know this, but we don't understand this. But Jesus is that thing, that thing that holds the atoms together, that keeps them from blowing apart, that maintains the 
the cosmos in circulation that ma manages our gravity, all those kinds of things. And that's just a really kind of cool thing. See, see why I want to do a Bible study on this? I mean, we may have started, okay. Um, he is the uh, purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus, when he finished, when he um, uh, suffered and died for our sins, his job was completed. He's sitting now next to God. And uh, so we've gone right from Genesis to Revelation right here, the, the whole book. I'm sorry, I'm way off topic right now, but uh, don't stop me now, please. Um, and he's much superior to angels, and he's um, more excellent than anything we can see. The book of Hebrews is all about who Jesus is. I challenge you that uh, I, I, I think I'm on the net, the, the pathway or something. I get visited by these people that come to me. Uh, every couple of months, somebody comes to my door and knocks on my door. Well, we're here to tell you about uh, some of that. So they usually don't identify their religion. They don't identify. We're just here to ask you questions about stuff. And uh, the last time somebody came to my house, well, usually it ends with, get off my porch. Uh, <laughs> but um, the last time somebody talked talk to me about this, um, and he start, I said, well, you know, and sometimes it's a little hard to identify who we are here and what this church is because we don't have a name. You can't say, well, we're Lutheran, we're Methodist, we're Presbyterian, uh, which immediately brings into focus a whole lot of stuff. And, and so I said, well, you know, I belong to Livingstone Church, and we call ourselves the Upper Room. And uh, uh, he goes, well, what's that mean? I said, well, we're, we're a good fundamental Christian church. And he goes, well, what's that mean? And I said, well, you know, uh, we're a Christian church. That's what we are. And uh, then he goes, well, all, all these other things. And uh, finally I said, well, you know, it boils down to the essentials of faith. And I started quoting the essentials of faith, and then he immediately took me on a rabbit trail, and I, that's about when I, I... I've got this trick that I learned a long time ago at par, in the parks, that when you want to get rid of somebody, and I do this in my office, is you, you take them and you start talking to them, and you start walking. <laughs> and, and, you, and you get them outside, and you get them out to your car, and then you go, oh, wait, i got a call i got to make. I'll see you later. And you just leave them standing by the car. And that's what I had to do with this guy. But next time he comes, I'm going to uh, say to him, I said, you know what? I believe in Jesus Christ. That's who I believe in. And uh, yes, I'm a Christian. We're from a church that we don't really have big identity anymore. Um, but we're from a Christian church, a fundamental Christian church. And believe me, um, I can prove to you who, what we're all about. I'd like you to take your Bible and open to the book of Hebrews. We'll talk about who Jesus is. And if his, if his book doesn't match my book, I'm going to say, get off my porch. I won't even walk him out to the car. Okay, so enough of that. We're way off. Today we're to begin a nine-week study of the book of Hebrews. I'm certain I have never heard Hebrews preached in a church that I have attended. About Hebrews, I have heard statements, it's too hard to understand, uh, it was written for the Jews, and there are other books in the Bible that are more relevant to today's church. And yet I've I am reminded that in 2 Timothy 3.16 states, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So let's jump into Hebrews. Who's the author 
of Hebrews. The author remains anonymous. A lot of scholars believe the author uh, to be one of the second generation Christians, men like Barnabas, Timothy, Apollos. Many others believe that the Apostle Paul wrote the book. They provide some convincing arguments. Um, Orlando and I just have gotten back from a very lengthy vacation. And while we were traveling, um, actually we were coming home, and we were driving through, I guess, central Montana at the time, and I'm talking in the car, and I said, you know, I really miss John and Amy. I know John's been going through some real tough times, and I really wish that I could see John and Amy. And uh, let's make plans as soon as we get back that we go see John and Amy. And Orlando reminded me, he says, well, they're planning a trip. They don't really know where they're going, but they're planning a trip right now, and you're not going to see them for another couple of weeks. So it's going to be like two months before I see my friends. And I'm going, oh, man. So we continue driving across Montana, and all of a sudden, uh, Orlando gets a text. He goes, well, I just got a text from Amy. They've decided they're coming to Montana. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? <laughs> she goes, yeah, they're going to stay in Missoula tonight. I said, we're going to be in Missoula tonight. So well, a whole lot of other things happened, and, and it was one of those deals where you just know that, that God put us together that day. But we got together for dinner, and we hung out. And so immediately we began talking, and we began talking about this sermon series. And Amy goes to me, she goes, well, I know who wrote the book of Hebrews. And I said, wow, really? People have been studying that for 2,000 years. And she goes, no, I know. I'm certain it's the Apostle Paul. I said, well, you know, Amy, um, we probably can't prove it, but it sure sounds like him. And we, we left it there. But, uh, so I came home, and to begin this, I thought, you know, it would be really nice to try to justify Amy and, 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 to, and to look at why people think that Paul might have written this. So, um, so this is a, I know theologians have worked on this for 2,000 years. This is a guy that lived in the woods, crack at it in 20 minutes. Um, but um, the first reason why we think Paul might have written the book of Hebrews is because Peter says so. Um, in Second Peter, 3, 15, and 16, um, he says, and he's writing a Hebrew church, we don't know which one, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul also wrote you according to the wisdom given. And then he goes on, puts a little dig at Paul because um, he just had a chance, I guess. And he says, as he does in all his letters when he speaks to them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. Um, just got to do it. Yeah, he had to do it. But anyway, he says, Paul wrote a letter to a Hebrew church. We've got no record of that letter, unless it's the book of Hebrews. Um, in Acts, in the second point here now, in Acts, um, Ananias, and I think I used this verse so the only other time I've ever preached in this church. Um, Ananias is, is told by the Holy Spirit to go out and, and meet Paul. And Ananias says, oh, no, I know that guy. He's been killing people. I don't want to have anything to do with him. And um, Acts 9.15 says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings, and the children of Israel. Um, 
Paul's mission was to the Gentiles. We see that throughout Acts. And yet here, the Holy Spirit says, the Lord says, he's also to go to the children of Israel. If indeed, um, I mean, God's not going to lie to us. Uh, and so somehow or another in there, um, also his mission is, is to uh, Israel. And that could be in the, this very um, letter that we're going to talk about today. And the last one, I told somebody earlier I wasn't going to use any technology today, and I'm really, really happy about uh, doing that at this moment. But the last reason is, like I told Amy before, um, can't do two things. Like I told Amy before, it sounds like him. And I'm just going to grab a couple of closing verses from Paul in many of his um, apostles, because he likes to close his letters with the words grace and peace. I just opened Corinthians 1 and it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all, Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, amen. That's Paul. Let's see. Um, Let's go to Galatians 6. And he says in 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with our spirit, brothers. I'm sorry, be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Once again, grace in Jesus Christ. Um, Ephesians. I'm, I'm using my cell phone because I can go to, go to verses faster. Uh, and even though I despise technology at the moment. Um, and in Ephesians uh, 6.24, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. I can go on and on and on. I think there's only one that he doesn't end like that. So how does the book of Hebrews end? It says Hebrews in 13, 25, grace be with you all. So that's my point on um, why we should think it was the Apostle Paul. Uh, We've got no direct proof about who wrote the book, but there are a lot of indicators that the author could have been the Apostle Paul. Regardless of who may have written the book, it is evident that the reader had a very good knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures and uses that knowledge to reach the hearts of his audience. Um, I think one thing that's, that uh, I see too is that this person has a really deep knowledge of the Old Testament. And I think in that he has a really deep respect for who God is, um, a deep understanding of Jesus Christ and um, is so in awe of God, so respectful of God that he doesn't want his sinful name associated in the same, in the same document as Jesus Christ. That's a Dwight Keegan take on it, but that might be the reason why there's no name associated. Okay, who's the audience now? Christian, uh, the Christians addressed here are Jewish converts are being persecuted, beaten, and imprisoned for their faith. Not only are they being harassed, but they are um, isolated from friends, family, um, traditions of the Jewish faith. You know, often we talk about the Jewish religion, religion and the Jewish Old Testament religion, and we focus on the law, and we focus on the ownership, oh, oh the difficulty of obeying the, the law and how, how difficult that was for the people. But um, some parts of the Jewish culture we don't really um, 
spend a lot of time with, and that's the the joy and and uh, and excitement and and beauty in the pageantry and and uh, just uh, really cool stuff that went along with uh, their celebrations. Uh, um, I think I'm, I'm, the park ranger in me always wanted to celebrate the Feast of Booths where you go out and you make these little huts and then you camp out in them. I mean, that, that sounds like really cool. Uh, and I'm sure the kids in the family just love that. Let's go up on the roof and we build little booths, you know, um, and Passover and, and the search for the leaven in the house with the kids and grandpa going around, I found one, there it is, get it out. Um, and, and so there's a whole lot of richness and diversity that we don't often talk about. And these people are somewhat excluded from that at this point. And, it, and it's, it's got to be difficult for them. But what's the purpose of the letter? The letter's meant to encourage the new Christian in their faith and at the same time warn them about turning away. The author writes to explain to them that the new covenant in Jesus Christ is far superior to the old law. And in doing so, this book provides a great bridge between the Old Testament and the new. In the next weeks, we'll look carefully at each of these warnings and words of support. And um, I think I may have said this before, but it would be a great Bible study. And as you read for the next nine weeks, the book of Hebrews. Now, Lois has already read up on us here. She's ready to go for us. But as you go through the book of Hebrews, take some time and go back and review those Old Testament scriptures. See how the Old Testament has been revealed in Jesus Christ. I think it'll bring a lot of depth and meaning to what we're talking about to come. How correct pastor corrects all of this stuff that we're going to give you. Okay. Um, the description is of Jesus, and um, the warnings uh, given to the first century church are very pr- appropriate to, to us today. Hebrews is not just for a select group of people. Despite the fact that few churches teach from Hebrews, there's much that has been written for us which uh, may be best explained in the passage where the writer draws an analogy between the exile in the desert and the present age. And this was kind of, I said it earlier this morning to somebody, that uh, when you start reading the Old Testament, uh, a wise man once said, "If, if you're in the Old Testament and there's something you don't understand, put Jesus Christ in the middle of it and then read it again. See how, see how you understand it there. You know, I never really, well, I have, but not it this way. But the writer makes the, the analogy of the Jews wandering in the desert. And because of their unfaithfulness and their sin, God gets angry and says, you will never see the promised land. And they spend 40 years wandering in the desert. Some people say that it wasn't very far away from where they're supposed to go, but they continue to wander. Uh, and... Uh, some of us today are in that same place, you know. Um, if we don't focus on on Jesus Christ, on on God, on on our religion, we very well can miss that promised land too. And, and so uh, it, it's it's an, it's a neat analogy and, and something that came about. Um, and so he draws this analogy between the exile in the desert and the present age, and then in Hebrews four eleven says. Let us strive to enter that rest, so that one may fall at the very, sh- may, so that no one may fall in the same sort of disobedience, like just like they did. Um, 
You know, it's kind of neat that pastor gave me um, verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, to, to preach on, because they're an introduction to Hebrews, and uh, kind of work all over the book, so that gives me total authority to say anything I want about it, any particular verse, and uh, um, I'm, I'm pleased by that. I'm not restrained by, by the number of verses I've got here. So in that illustration of the time in the desert, the author compares Israel's 40-year trek in the wilderness with our own lives. Because uh, Israel disobeyed God, they were not allowed to enter the promised land. Just as we too, denying Jesus' work of atonement and the results, would be the loss of our reward for eternity. So... Uh, it's a good illustration for us. Keep in mind. I don't want to be lost in the desert. Um, so now, the main topics in Hebrews. And once again, this is what I'm going to talk about to the guy who comes to my door next time. And, and I'm, I hope that I can do it with uh, his Bible. And if his Bible doesn't have these things in here, then I'm going to say, dude, you're not reading out of the same book that I'm reading out of. Okay? And we, get, we not only get that guy, we also get these... Uh, uh, two young men that come on bicycles or sometimes walking and they're, they're, they're dressed in black and white. They kind of look like little penguins. And I feel kind of sorry for them because they're usually out there in the sun and it's hot and you kind of want to invite them in and talk to them. Um, but at the same time, Hebrews says, Jesus is far greater than the angels. The Jewish people um, saw angels as very important in their worship. They, their traditions tell them that angels brought the word of God or the Ten Commandments to Moses on, the, on Sinai. Angels are messengers that come in and out. And this says Jesus is far greater than the angels. It also says Jesus is greater than the Torah. You will see that Jesus is greater than Moses in the promised land. Jesus is greater than the priests and Melchizedek. And I told Pastor when we met this week, I said, guess what? You get to talk about Theophanes and who Melchizedek really was. And he giggled about that, so I think you're going to get that. Jesus is greater, is the greater sacrifice. Jesus is the greater covenant. And the title of my work here today is A Greater Hope. Um, now, the warnings in Hebrews. The Hebrew church is warned about five different warnings. Is that five? One, two, yeah, five. And I think we can take these to heart very much. First warning is against neglecting our salvation, drifting from, from where we are, from being part of this body, being uh, just slipping away from Jesus. Do not harden your hearts as in rebellion and not entering into rest. The third warning is a warning about studying and growing in the word, growing mature. We're going to talk about um, mature Christians here a lot in a little bit. Warning about willful sin. And do not grow weary. Um, don't drift past the point of denial. Um, you know, just, just, yeah, just rest in Jesus. That's what you want to do. And Pastor told me when we were preparing for this, he goes, "Do I just read your material, be ready, and then and then just rest in the Lord?" And uh, I, that's what I tried to do this last month and a half. Uh, okay, God has finally and fully. Um, God has spoken finally and fully in his son, Jesus Christ. It is, a, 
in, is fully understandable, despite the supremacy of Jesus, that the new Christians may be trying to balance their conversion in Jesus with their Old Testament traditions. Peter and John even had a strong argument about this exact issue. In this disagreement, Peter accuses Peter. Paul accuses Peter of clinging too closely to the old ways. Paul wrote later in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Before I get too far off track, I want to state that tradition's not always a bad thing. Um, and the pastor and I had this discussion, and kind of my background has been kind of always just banging into legalism all the time and having problems uh, with some of that. Uh, some of the issues I have with family end up being about legalism. When I started work um, in state parks, um, there were a lot of people who um, I thought as elderly, they were like 10 years younger than I am today. Um, but these old guys... Um, always would say, well, that's the way we do it. We've always done it that way. In fact, that's the way I did it in the Army. And uh, um, it, it was always just kind of button heads with those guys. Um, but in this case, God gave Israel traditions to remind uh, them of him and to bring them into relationship with him. Just think of the Passover. Just think of uh, in Israel, I mean in Egypt, when uh, the Israelite slaves are uh, there and God's going to bring uh, death to the, every household, to the firstborn of every household, they're told to take a lamb. Jesus Christ is the lamb of God in, in, uh, in John. Um, to take a lamb and to sacrifice this lamb and spread the, the blood on the doorpost and on, on the lentil. So essentially they're they're making a cross over their house with, with blood from a lamb. Uh, and the angel then passes over. Think about uh, uh, some of those traditions and what they mean. And, and they're good things. As long as you see the fulfillment of Jesus Christ in those traditions, and you don't get stuck in those traditions. When I work with state parks, I don't do that anymore. When I work with state parks... Um, one of the things I worked on uh, rather extensively was um, our parks reservation system. And uh, it, uh, it was something that, when, you, when you're working with Microsoft or, or, or Windows and you're working with Apple, you've got products there. You, you pretty much know what they're going to do and, and you understand. But um, we were looking to build a reservation program. And there are a lot of people in the marketplace and a lot of people that promise a lot more than, than they could uh, give. And we got burned pretty bad one time. And so one of the jobs that I have was to go out and explore these products. And we would go to the, the corporate offices and spend time with the executives and spend time with their programmers and talk about what their product did and how it could be adapted to what we wanted. And then they put on demonstrations there, and then they'd take us out in the parks with their selected people and show us how the product worked. And after we did that, then I would go around to other state parks and talk to other rangers and say, so how does this work in, in, in your park? 
And that's when I got some real good feedback. I always picked the oldest ranger who I identified with. And uh, he'd go, oh, this is, you know, the kids got it, but I don't get it. And, and we, we got that with just about every program. But we began to see some of the issues, some of the problems, and, and uh, some of the deals. But one of the things I ran across in New York and Pennsylvania, and I've seen it here in Washington, but it really was really prevalent back there, is they had these wonderful devices there was a, a board, and on this board, somebody had, sometimes very artfully, sometimes kind of crudely, but they'd drawn out a, a map of their whole state park, and every campsite had a little hole drilled in it. Then they'd take golf tees, and when they sold a campsite, they'd put a golf tee in that so that anybody could walk in and see what sites were sold and what sites were available. And it was kind of a cool thing. And I'm there just to talk to them about it. I'm not there to, to criticize. I'm not there to tell them how to do a better job. I got to teach later. But I was there to look at their operation. And I'd always say, so tell me about the, the map. And they'd go, oh, well, we've had that since the 50s, and we just love it. I said, well, can you work without it? No, we can't work without it. Because it becomes such a crutch, such a tradition with them that they... They couldn't let go of that, even though they had a computer that had a map in the computer and had personal data attached to each one of these campsites to tell you who is there, where they're from, what their credit card number is, uh, how long they plan to stay. They could get all that, but they had to have this thing on the wall because it's what they did. And uh, the, the problem with that is if the wind blew the door closed and the pegs fell off the wall, they'd have to recreate their whole day. And uh, if uh, some little kid came along and started doing this, they were in big trouble because they're relying on something that, that they can't manage. They're trying to compare two systems that, that don't talk to one another. And then the bottom line, the problem with that, I mean, other than just a lot of wasted time, the problem with that is if they get one system out of sync from the other, somebody ends up in the campground and, and uh, is unhappy about the results of what came out of that. And in the end, it's bad customer service. So it's a waste of time, it's bad customer service. But they love those things. They wouldn't let go because it was their tradition. That's what we're seeing here as we get on. Um, so New York, Pennsylvania, if you're listening, I'm, I'm sorry, I really am. Yeah, but uh, they were cool. But uh, oh, there was one park too. There's a park in uh, New York that was right across from Niagara Falls. And it was a huge place, 400 campsites at least. And they had this great thing, more like a matrix than a map. And they had all these different colored stickers. And they had a sticker for vacant, sticker for vacant and reserved, a sticker for uh, reserved and occupied, a sticker for uh, nobody's there, I don't know. But you know, they had all of these different combinations. You could have like 1,200 different possibilities. And, the opportunity to screw that up has got to be humongous. But anyway, they, it was theirs. They loved it. And they were lost in that tradition. Too many early Christians tried to continue to cling to the Jewish tradition while claiming Jesus' salvation. And as a result, are not becoming mature Christians. Uh, tradition can be a deceptive crutch. Now, Pastor and I had a real discussion about this because you've got to say, from my background, like sometimes I see tradition as a problem. He really tried to get me to see that in traditions, in Christian traditions, as we see 
Jesus Christ fulfilled in those in Jewish traditions as they see Jesus Christ fulfilled in those. That's a good thing. And, and so I'm not beating up on traditions. It's just me trying to work through a whole lot of family issues more than anything. Uh, too many early Christians tried to continue to cling to the Jewish tradition while claiming Jesus' salvation. As a result, uh, not becoming mature Christians. Tradition is a deceptive crutch that provides the lure of religiosity, religiosity without true, true, meaningful relationship with our Lord and other believers. When speaking of this problem, the author calls us children. And you know, I feel tempted. I feel tempted to go to Hebrews 5.11 right now. Okay, and um, I remember as we were doing pastoral search, this is a Roseanne. Roseanne was quoting this. I didn't know where it was from. She was beating me up about this. And uh, Hebrews 5, verse 10 begins, being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's reference to Jesus. About this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull in hearing. They're attached to their, their tradition so much they're not hearing on an advanced level. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Essentially he's saying you're babies, you're children. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice um, to distinguish good from evil. So he's being pretty harsh with them about this. And Roseanne beat me up a lot with that one. And Roseanne, I love you. I thank you so much for your stand in, in this church. Thank you for that. Um, so where am I at now? The warning to seek maturity as Christian believers is, a relevant, is as relevant today as it was in the first century. The author gives us many reasons to want to worship Jesus only and turn from other uh, distractions. He also provides us with a, uh, some direct warnings about becoming complacent in our salvation. He wants us all to seek Jesus Christ and become mature Christians in that search. And I want to end today with Hebrews 6.1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. So that's what you're going to find in this book. That's what you're going to find um, as we go through. And uh, those are some of the things that John and Pastor are going to have to wrestle with in the, in the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, before we leave... Um, uh, any God stories? Me. Oh, we got hands all over the place. I have a God story. All right. Got God stories. There's a microphone there. John's got a microphone in the back. McKenzie, go ahead. Okay. So, um, in the last few months, I've been going through some 
health issues. Um, and recently I went to a neurologist and he recommended that I go to the University of Seattle mm. for testing. Well, where God is so amazing begins my story. Um, my husband and I have been struggling a little with finances and we were a little worried about going to Seattle because hotels are really expensive um, and we can't afford it. Well, um, yesterday I, I called up my sister-in-law because a friend, um, a friend told me about a program that her mother did um, through the hospital where her mother had surgery last year um, at Swedish. And this friend told me about a program where they will rent you a room at the hospital. Well, God went a step ahead. And I called my sister-in-law yesterday, and she said, don't worry about it. If you need help, I will pay for you to stay at a hotel while cool. you are in Seattle. Cool. So. Yeah. Amen. Amen. God is... Who else we got here? Marilyn? Thank you. So Mort and I have been, we retired three years ago and thought we'd be, get a home built in about a year and a half. We broke ground a year ago May with the builder that said we'd be in our house by Thanksgiving. We, um, and this really, the you know, I guess the core thing that I've got from it is what it really means to trust God. And so we, uh, the builder kind of disappeared in November and uh, to go to California, and we just thought, well, we'll wait and see, you know, we'll talk to him when he gets back, and he just disappeared. And um, I'd gone over to, to um, Olympia and met with a, a girlfriend, and she said, well, Marianne, and I was telling her this, you know, we had... I could go for hours about the, the, the stories. And she said, well, Marianne, why do you keep taking your worry and putting it on God's altar and grabbing it back? Amen. And then I was driving home from that, and I was listening to a tape from Ann Graham Lotz. And on that, it was a story about her favorite um, prophet is Abraham, and Abraham sacrificing his son on the altar. And heard that, you know, the, the thread she was trying to give was, if you put something on the altar, you're doing it out of trust. And he put his son on that altar and trusted. And, um, and then I came back, and, the, and this is just like within a few days. So then I was doing Bible study fellowship, and one of the women at Bible study fellowship said, when you are really angry and upset, before you do anything, get on your knees and turn it over. So there is this, this, and this. And I really was trusting God, and we were praying about things, but I really was not letting it go and letting him. You know, I was not sacrificing it. So we, we did make the, a very difficult decision to fire the builder, 
And then just since then, it has been one miracle after another. Amen. We found, you know, who wants to come and finish an unfinished house? We found an excellent young man. Amen. The bank let Mort be the general contractor because he'd kind of been doing it anyway. We had, um, they wanted to deliver the drywall early because the roads were, were frozen. Then the drywallers showed up two days early and the painter wanted to get started as soon as the snow was gone and he came early and it has just been, and then the builder got, he already had other commitments and who's going to put the cabinets and the guy that was putting the flooring in said, hey, I want to teach my carpenter, junior carpenter, how to do hang cabinets. Can I hang your cabinets? Well, who's going to do your trim? Oh, I can do trim and teach. So he, it, it's just been amazing, you know, and I haven't quit worrying. But I'm convicted every time I do that God is there, and if you just let him work. And so Friday we got our occupancy permit, and we spent yeah. last night in our house. Um, I just wanted to share, last, last weekend, um, Dave Epperson and I got to take... Um, four boys and three girls to Young Life camp, sixth grade camp, and um, it was just a beautiful thing. I mean, kids, sixth graders are, are oh my gosh, I love them so much. Um, they're beautiful, they're difficult, they're funny. Um, there was a couple of, a couple of stories that I want to share about how, how God is is working through Young Life, he's working through leaders, he's working through kids. I mean, there was things that I learned while I was there. Um, one of the things that was really profound for me um, was looking at, these, looking at these girls of mine. Two of them, by the way, rededicated their lives to Jesus, which was really exciting. Um, when so in young life camp you have like these one-on-ones and you just go talk with them and um there was a moment i get really emotional about this so hopefully i won't cry but there was a moment where when we were done one of them was kind of walking ahead of me and i just for an instant in my head um thought oh man i wish i wish she was walking right beside me and all of a sudden i felt God just pouring out like my child sometimes you walk ahead of me too and it was it was one of those moments where it I was just um, like God just reminded me I pursue pursue you you keep pursuing these kids don't give up keep going and because it's hard the ministry is hard but it's rewarding and beautiful and I love it, and I love these kids. I love all of them, every one of them. Teenagers are the best. Um, they're, they're the best. I don't care what anybody says. And then there was, um, there was a moment with one of the boys. The, the, these boys were just, they were amazing. Like, seeing Dave with these boys was amazing, too. And one of them, when we got back, we went and had coffee afterwards. And one of them looked at me and said, I cried, he's like this stoic boy, um, just hilarious, made us laugh the whole time. And he came up and he said, I cried when we left camp. And I said, what, you did really? Are you kidding me? You know, he goes, no, I cried. 
And it just, like, it just got me in the heart because these, <sighs> Jesus is doing so much in the lives of these kids, and I just wanted you, wanted you all to know. I've kept my mouth shut lately, guys, and didn't do any God stories, but that doesn't mean I don't have so many I could never share them all. But Kathy R. and I have been doing the book that our pastor recommended the very first time he talked about Hebrews, and it is Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand. And you know, the chapter we did last week was about what comes out of our mouth is in our heart. And you know what? That blew my mind. Because I knew that. So every word I say, I'm thinking, Lord, is that really my heart? Because <laughs> we get things so deep in our hearts, and we don't realize it. But I want to thank God for Kathy and our prayer together. And all this church family that's been there for me every minute. And I want to say one little thing to my friend Marianne. I heard her say when she got through, I still worry. But Marianne, you don't have to. My mother used to worry, and I'd say, Mom, why pray when you can worry? But you need to give it all to the Lord. And I want to tell you one thing. I don't worry about nothing. If God gives me a heart I'm concerned about, I don't worry about it. God has taken care of this before I was born. And he's going to continue to do that. He's done so much for me since Bill's been gone. He showed me I can be a strong person. And I just love the Lord so much. Jesus is it, people. Yeah. Without him, yeah. you are nothing. And I want to thank Dwight for sharing with us today because it was wonderful. Hebrews is awesome. I got into it and couldn't quit. So that's just the way I am. I take my little Wonder Bible and go for a walk every morning and listen to Hebrews. So I love you all so much. And thank you again, church family. You've been there 24-7 for me, and you still are. My daughter was just here, and she said, Mom, I'm so thankful for your church family that gets you out of this place so much. And you do. I love you, everyone, so much. Thank you so much. Wait. Does that pretty much oh, got one behind you? Um, some of you know that if you've on the prayer chain that I put a, a young girl from Chelan on the prayer chain with some, an eating disorder. Um, it got really bad. There's two places really that are really um, good to take teenagers with this. Not everybody will take a teen. The first one is in California and they applied there. And because her EKG, or EEG, I don't remember what, I, I, those that are in the, in the medical field know. But anyway, it was her heart. And they, they wouldn't take her because her heart was so, you know, there was the problems there. They were able to um, apply one more time to them, and they still said no. The other place was in Texas, and Texas said they would take her. So here she is from Washington, and now they've got to take her clear down to Texas. And they've taken her to Texas, and her mom is a Christian, and she said, can I pray? And she told her mom, she says, Mom, if it makes you feel better, okay. <laughs> that was hard. Um, she's been down there now for a m month. 
And last week, I believe it was, when, she, when her mom went down, she goes every, tries to go every couple of weeks, she went down, and she got there on the day of, um, at, at the time of uh, visitation, and her daughter's in a wheelchair because she's not strong enough to stand anymore. Um, she had refused most of her meals. And so there's, it's just really hard for a mom to see that. And towards the end, she asked her mom, she says, can I sit on your lap? Now this is a high school student. And she says, of course you can. And so she picked her up out of the, high, out of the wheelchair and put her on her lap and just hugged her and stuff like this. And her mom talked to her about the Lord one more time. And she accepted the Lord. So, I'm, my prayer now is that she will find somebody there, that someone will come forth that she can, that can minister to her and just help her through this so that we'll get her back. So anyway. <laughs>